Welcome to Unleash Your Retirement with David Corin from RVA Wealth Management. Our podcast is all about providing anyone considering retirement with the confidence they need to pursue their dreams in this new phase of life. We cover a wide range of topics, from retirement planning to investing with purpose, all while making you laugh and keeping things lighthearted. With David's years of experience and guest industry leaders to help guide us, you'll walk away feeling informed, empowered, and ready to take on your future with confidence. So sit back, relax, and get ready to join us on this journey to a new life. Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Retirement with your host, David Corin. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi, David. How are you feeling today? Outstanding, Wendy. I'm really doing well. I hope you're doing well as getting on just fine. I am feeling outstanding now that you're outstanding. So that's fantastic. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about employer-sponsored plans. Yes. So uh, again, we're we're going to follow up. In the last episode, we talked about income sources, and employer-sponsored plans are one source of income in retirement. But a lot of people don't understand what's available, what's out there, uh, the different types that are out there, et cetera. So we're gonna we're gonna delve into that a little bit today, uh, and hopefully educate people about you know how these plans work, because there's really just two basic types of employer-sponsored plans. And we talk about these, there's uh, defined benefit plans and defined contribution plans. Now, defined benefit plans are your classic pension plans. These are plans where the employer is sort of, they have rules around what you can get. Uh, They handle all the money. So it's being set aside for you in a pension program type approach. And there are rules and regs around the defined benefit plan and on what you can get out and, you know, what it takes to qualify, how long you have to work, et cetera, what your benefits are and so forth. But really what's nice about defined benefit plans uh, is that you really, as the employee, don't have to worry about the investments. You're not putting any money in. It's all done by the employer on your behalf. Defined contribution plans, in contrast, are being funded by you, the employee, primarily, and you are responsible for investments and investment outcome. So you have to pick how you're setting that money aside. And for a lot of people, this represents a lot of concern and confusion. Uh, in the industry, You know, we, we manage a lot of money here. So we watch and we talk about the retail trader and we can, we, we definitely watch the what's going on in the retail world. And guess what? Most of the retail world consists of people's 401k plans, a lot of money movement because people are getting afraid. So it's like a fear index. Okay. Money's coming out of those employee plans. So people are saying, oh, I'm scared of taking money out. They're sitting on the sidelines. Uh, that's usually a, a sign that they are capitulating and it might be time to invest in the market. Conversely, <laughs> conversely, uh, you have a lot of money's going in because the market's going up. Well, that's probably a warning sign as far as we're concerned, because what we what happens is, unfortunately, is that people sort of invest with their emotions. They pay attention to the headlines and they are not consistent. So they jump in and out. I would 
argue for most people, really what they need to do is just set it and forget it. Put the money in into a allocation that you're comfortable with. Uh, employers have different allocation strategies available out there. So you can pick different investments or you could just pick what we call a, a target date fund, uh, which usually then adjusts based on what your retirement date will be. So a, a target date fund of, say, 2025 is going to be mostly bonds, whereas a target date fund of 2050 is going to be mostly equity. So they, And then they'll adjust as you get closer to that date and move more towards bonds. It's really, it's very simplistic, but that's what they're doing. Okay. Now, target the disadvantage of target date funds is that they tend to be a little more expensive than just buying the the uh, regular index funds that are available in most 401k plans. Those are the two types of plans. And then you have to think, okay, well, what are my benefits and how do I get this money out? So when we're talking about defined benefit plans, you know, normally you're only eligible to take money out when you actually retire. And they usually have a date, you know, an age, usually say age 60 would be the earliest. I have seen some that have an earliest retirement date of age 50, believe it or not. That's rare, but I have seen some. Most of them are in the age 60 plus range. Some of them are actually 62 to 65 before you can start taking the benefits out of the defined benefit plan. And usually your only option is an annuity payout. Now, an annuity is a lifetime stream of income payments. And you have several options usually they give you. Um, they can do, you know, you can do lifetime, and that's usually with no survivorship. So let's let's define how that works. So a lifetime with no survivorship. So let's say you retire and you're 65 or what have you, and you start your benefits and you're getting, let's say it's three thousand dollars a month, and you live a year. And guess what? You pass away. Unfortunately, maybe you get hit by a bus, whatever. You die. What does your spouse get? Nothing. Money's gone. Okay. Because they maximize the benefit payout per month, but there's no survivorship. So if you don't live a long time, not necessarily a good option for your, especially if you're married and have a spouse. There's also lifetime with full survivorship in many cases. That is a much lower payout. But if you pass away, your spouse gets a payout for life and it doesn't change. And there are other options in between where you do uh, 75%, 50% survivorship. So the benefits reduced if you die early. But, you know, you are talking about maintaining something for your heirs or your beneficiaries. Uh, usually your spouse. So there's a lot of limitations around it. Now they may offer you a lump sum payout. Sometimes that's available and it's something to consider. Uh, and we do a lot of evaluation around this. And it used to be that two, three years ago, every time we did it, it made more sense to take the money in a lump sum. Now, because interest rates are higher, these annuity payouts have gone up considerably. And in many cases, we are seeing that you're actually better off taking the, the benefit, the payout, you know, the annuity payout, because the annuity payout benefit are higher. And we do the math and we're saying, okay, well, hey, you'd have to earn, you'd have to average 8% a year or 9% a year 
well, that's a pretty aggressive investment strategy. So uh, the client, many cases, they're just better off taking the lifetime income benefit, uh, whether it's survivorship or not, it's a nice payout. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we look at all those options and try to say, okay, what makes the most sense for the client in this setting? And when do you want to start taking the benefit? You know, often it's a set date. So there are restrictions, no control of the money, and it's not really your money. It's a company still maintains everything. And most pension plans out there are insured. So you really don't have to worry about, you know, if the employer goes out of business, what happens in most cases now, uh, back in the eighties, there was a bunch of, actually it was the steel industry back in the eighties. There was a lot of layoffs and a lot of companies went under. And when they did, people lost their pensions. And the government stepped in and said, you know what? That's not right. That's not fair. You need to insure these pensions and make sure, even if your company goes bankrupt, that you have enough funds set aside to pay these pensions out. And so they passed that. It was back in the late 80s. And since that time, private companies have all gone the, the uh, defined contribution route. In fact, I don't even know. There's There might be a few private companies out there. Uh, that still have a pension for new employees, but the vast majority of those, even the ones that had pension, there's no pension plan available to new hires. Like I said, there are a few exceptions, but not many. In most cases, they don't exist anymore. Why is that? Well, because the companies looked at what they had to set aside in terms of reserves to cover these lifetime obligations, these outstanding, and they said, well, we're not insurance companies. We're not in that business. We don't want to do that. It doesn't make sense for us. We make widgets. We don't manage money like that and set aside reserves. And it would have cost them a lot to set aside enough. So they said, we're just going to stop doing that. And they moved away from defined uh, benefit plans and went to defined contribution plans. And now what's interesting about, uh, i tell that story in the 80s, guess who was excluded from that rule when they passed it? government (laughs) they passed this rule and they said okay everybody out there all you private companies you got to set this you got to make sure you have the reserves but they didn't make the same rules apply to government entities so there's been a lot of municipalities that have gone under literally because of their outstanding pension obligations fortunately to date those companies those situations the state has stepped in and taken over the pension. So nobody's lost it, but it is a concern, you know, because that's, that is a interesting situation where the government sort of excluded themselves uh, from a rule that they apply to all private companies now. And therefore that's why governments still have pensions, quite honestly. And now some of them, many of them are, have begun to move towards defined a combination of pension and defined contribution plans. So I think over time, eventually, even the, the public entities, the the states, the municipalities, the, the federal government will eventually move to some sort of defined contribution approach. Uh, right now, they still have a double a pension and a defined contribution option for most, most employees. They can do both, uh, which is sort of nice. It's the best of both worlds. But where is that money going to come from? Taxpayers, eventually, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, now, let's talk about defined contribution plans because that's the most common type of plan out there now. 
and we're talking, I mean, there's a lot of them, 401ks, 457s, 403bs, depending on the type of entity. The the most common is the 401k. So I'll refer to that for the most part as I go through this. Um, and so what are your options with a 401k, say, either when you retire or if you change jobs? So I like to talk about the change jobs first, because let's say you're working and you're 25 years old or 30 years old, and you've got maybe 15,000, 20,000 in your 401k that you've built up and you're changing jobs, you're going to a new uh, employer. What do you think, hap- what are your options with that money? Well, you could leave it with the prior employer. You could just leave it there. But now you've got to be able to log back in and look at what the employer benefits are and you've got to manage that money and that account's a separate account. Uh, you may have a new account, new 401k with your new employer, uh, that you're having to manage as well. So now you've got two places to go and look. So it can get a little complicated. And what if they change providers, you know, or change carriers in terms of who's managing the 401k? You've got to deal with all that, new passwords, et cetera, to take care of it. So it can get a little complicated, but it stays tax deferred and it's still your money. If, <clears throat> on the other hand, you um, 25, 30 years old, you could roll that money over into your new 401k. It's just a considered a rollover. You have to go through that process. It's not that difficult. It can be done online in many cases. Uh, and you just move that money into your current 401k plan, which makes a lot of sense. So you're fully vested in those funds. Uh, it's still tax deferred. There's no adverse tax consequences. Uh, and you have the ability to manage that at your current employer and keep that money growing. Another option would be to take an, an income stream, potentially, if you're not... Um, if you're young, if you're, um, if they allow that, in many cases they do not, unless you're up in you know, over fifty-five or more. So a lot of cases you that's not an option if you're younger. Uh, if you are retired, that becomes an option. You can always turn, by the way, any lump sum of money into a into an annuity payout. It's called an immediate annuity. So you can get that benefit for yourself with a lump sum if that's what you decide you want to do in the future. So you've got you've got these options. So you can leave it where it was with the current employer. You can roll it into the new employer. Uh, You could take an income stream. You could take a lump sum distribution and have it roll into a self-directed IRA account. That's another option. All of these options, they don't have, there's not adverse tax consequences, okay? Because you're rolling it over. The one option that, that you will have adverse tax consequences are is if you were to just take the money because that is an option. So you're 25 years old, 30 years old. You really would like to buy a new boat. And hey, you know, yeah, you got 20,000 and they're going to withhold taxes. Plus they're going to be apply a 10% penalty tax, but you're still going to end up with $13,000. And that's enough to buy the boat. Um, So that's an option. But now you've lost all your tax benefits. You've paid taxes. You've reduced the amount, uh, but you have money in your pocket. Well, and you have a boat. Oh, and you have a boat. So <laughs> now, what do you think happens? So your 20,000 turned into 13. So what do you think most people do uh, when they change jobs with their old 401k? Do they roll it into an IRA? Do they leave it the old employer? Do they roll it to the new employer? Or do they just take the money and pay the taxes and penalties? 
I would think that most people roll it over to a new employer or no, roll it over into like an IRA or something. Actually, most people buy the boat. <laughs> really? Uh, yes. The vast majority of the time, because they don't understand the implications and what this money is for. So if you're 30 years old, 25 years old, you're not. You're not thinking about retirement. Thinking, you're certainly not thinking about retirement, right? Yeah. It's just not. And and the new boat would be nice. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> right. You know, so that's what people do or the new motorcycle or whatever the case might be, whatever the person desires. So what we would encourage people, and obviously if you're working with a planner, they're going to tell you, hey, that's not a good idea. The, mo the best thing to do is roll it over. And I would argue the best place to roll it into is a self-directed IRA because it increases your ability to invest in different things. You're not limited by the employer's list of investments. So most employers have maybe, you know, 10 or 15 index funds you can invest in and some target date funds. That's about it. It's a very limited menu of options in terms of investments. If you are, if you roll that money into an IRA at say Fidelity or Schwab, you can buy anything. You can buy individual stocks, individual bonds, ETFs, all kinds of options available to you, gold, silver, whatever you want to buy, you can buy it in the self-directed IRA. In fact, in a self-directed IRA, you could even buy rental real estate. I have clients that have done that. You know, They had a self-directed IRA and they bought rental real estate inside of the IRA. Uh, so that is an option. So there's just a lot more flexibility with a self-directed IRA than there is with a leaving the money in a traditional 401k in terms of your investment options. So I would argue that's probably the best approach is to roll that money into a self-directed IRA. Um, now, let's say at retirement, what are your options with a defined contribution plan? So you're ready to retire. Well, can you leave it at the employer? Most of the time, yes. I mean, most employers encourage that. I know if the plan's like with a big company and it's being managed by like Fidelity or Vanguard, they actually really want you to keep that money <laughs> in yeah. the plan and they will um, work with you to try and make sure you do that. And, you know, there are some advantages to that. Uh, obviously the cost of 401k plans are very low. So in terms of the fund fees uh, and the management fees, you're not paying a lot. You are paying something. A lot of people are under the misconception that they're not paying, they don't have to pay anything for money invested in a 401k. Well, that's not true. There's expense ratios on all of the mutual funds that you're investing in inside of your 401k plan. And as I mentioned earlier, the target date funds tend to have the higher expense ratios. So you are paying there. And there's also administration overhead that's involved that you're paying. You may not see any of this, but it's occurring. Right. Uh, so they're not free, but they are very low cost. I mean, we're not talking a lot of money here. I mean, many of these index funds have 0.04% cost basis to them or expense ratios. Uh, whereas the target date funds might, might be 20% or something like that 0.2. So it's, it's a, it, it varies with the different funds that you're in. And it also varies from company to company too, by the way. Uh, but it is, it is an option and it's a viable option. You know, you could leave it there and you could just set up payments out of that if you need to, or you could just leave it until you reach your required minimum distribution age. So all tax deferred accounts, whether they be um, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, all of these accounts, you never pay tax on the money, 
right? You didn't have to pay tax going in. It's grown tax deferred all this time. Right. You could leave it in there for life, hoping to never pay tax on it. But guess what? The government says, no, we want our tax dollars. Yeah, they want their money. Yeah. So now they've, I think the age is, it's been raised to 73. I believe it's going to go to age 75. But at some point, (laughs) you will have to take the money out. It's called a required minimum distribution. uh, And it's sizable. It's going to start out in the 4% range and go up from there on that account. And you must pay tax on that. Okay. So you could leave the money into the, in that 401k until you hit that. And then you start taking the money out, or you could just take a stream of income out regularly from the 401k. Uh, There are, they will work with you and make that possible. The disadvantage of that, well, there's a couple of them. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, the investment options are very limited. So that the investment options aren't going to change just because you're retired, right? Number two, you're no longer an employee. Right. I mean, you're a retiree. So, but you know, your accesses may change. They may change providers and carriers. You know, you got to stay on top of that stuff. And it could become an issue because you're not an employee anymore. So there could be some glitches down the road. It really comes into, becomes a bigger issue when you pass away. Because honestly, these plans are just, most of them are, they're not set up for that. They're set up for the growing of the assets, not for the distribution of the assets out to heirs. So it can be a very complicated process and present a lot of um, angst, if you will, for the people that inherit these funds later on. So there's all of these issues relative to that, but it is inexpensive. Most people do roll the money into a self-directed IRA. Either have that managed by someone or they manage it themselves at Vanguard, Schwab, or Fidelity or someplace like that. And that's really, I think, the best option because of your flexibility for the investments. Because you can keep your costs very low if you buy index funds. You can keep your costs very low, but now you can buy anything you want in that account, be they bonds, be they ETFs, which are very inexpensive, uh, be they individual stocks. I mean, that's one thing in your 401k, you can't go out and buy IBM or Google or Apple or Microsoft, not allowed. You know, they don't have that option. You can buy funds that buy those stocks, you know, but you can't buy those stocks directly. Whereas if you're in a self-directed IRA, you can. So there's a lot of benefits to rolling that money out. Uh, The other thing that you can do too, when you roll it out, remember, as I mentioned earlier, you can turn a portion of or any part of that money or all of it into a stream of income for life. So you when you t- at any point in time, you can create a pension for yourself if you choose to from those funds. And then you just pay tax on the payments as you receive them. And it's an annuity benefit and you can have it set up with all the same payouts as I mentioned earlier, where you've got full survivorship or partial survivorship, however you want to structure it to get the benefit number where you want it to be. And I do have people that do this because they want to have a definite amount of income for some reason. Say, so let's say they want to say, I want to have a guaranteed amount of income of $2,000 a year uh, to supplement my social security. If I have that, you know what? I'm fine. I don't have to worry about the market. I know that with my other benefits, my social security, I can pay all my bills and I'm fine. Uh, I'd like to do that. And then you, we can invest and be aggressive with the rest of these funds. Okay. Because now they're now I don't have to have the money. So it's it, a lot of people will do take that type of approach. And it's always an option. 
and you don't have to do it, but it is an option for people at any point in time. So any lump sum of money can be turned into a pension or an, an annuity, really. What is it? It's an immediate annuity, but that's really what pensions are. They're a stream of income that they pay out for life. And that's a really nice option for most people. And that's what we see a lot of people do. Plus, once the money's out of there, you can convert that into Roth. You can use the funds for what we call qualified charitable distributions. Most 401k plans, 403bs, 457s do not facilitate qualified charitable distributions. So what a qualified charitable distribution is, is that once you reach age 70 and a half, you are allowed by law now to take money directly from your IRA and pay that, send that money to a charity. Now that will satisfy your RMD if you have one, but more importantly, it is a tax-free event. You So keep in mind that money was never taxed. Now you can give it to a charity and it'll never be taxed. Right. I know a lot of people love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the government getting the money. So, you know, hey, I don't need all that money. And, you know, I give to my church or I give to my, uh, you know, these various charities that I support, my college or what have you. Well, now you can do that totally tax free. Have it come directly from your IRA and go to those institutions that qualify as, as charitable institutions. You can't, in most cases, do that from a traditional 401k. They just don't, they're not set up to do that because they have to, you have to actually put in the system, load it up with the name of the charitable organization, and the check has to be mailed directly from the IRA. Mm. And that's not something that 401k plans are set up to do. To the extent you want to do that, and I do have clients because there's a limit to the amount of QCDs you can do each year, it's limited to $100,000. Now, I know that sounds like a lot, but believe me, I I have folks that have IRAs that are so big, their RMDs are greater than $100,000 a year. So that if they don't need that those funds, a lot of times they want to give the bulk of that to charity. Mm-hmm. So that's an option that's available if you have a if you roll the money out of the 401k into a self-directed IRA, you can do these qualified charitable distributions. So you have lots of flexibility and options when you retire with these funds. The most important thing I would say is to build these accounts up and make them as big as possible, especially to define contribution plans. So, you know, a lot of people, as I mentioned earlier, I think in an earlier podcast, I mentioned a lot of people just do the match. The match is 3%. The match is 5%. Well, that's what I'll put in. Well, you're really, and that's a good thing because that's free money. So you're going to get matched up to that amount. That's great. Employers really help and you build your retirement account up. But that may not end up being enough for you in retirement, or you may not be able to retire early if that's a goal. So it's more important to put as much in as you're comfortable with. So, and then we go back to what we talked about with understanding your budget, inflows, your cash flow statement having a handle on all of that so you know how much you can comfortably put into your 401k and in excess of the 3% or the 5% that you may be doing. Right. So, and, and that is one of the best ways to save for retirement because this is, you know, money that you're pumping in that you're not paying tax on. It's lowering your tax bracket. So there's a lot of benefits to you, especially if you're in a higher tax bracket. Now let's say, you're in a fairly low tax bracket and you have the option because a lot of companies do have this option now of putting the money into a Roth 
at the company. So it's a Roth 401k. Well, if your income's low enough and you're in a, or your tax bracket's low enough, I encourage people to put money into the Roth because they don't really need the tax deduction as much as they knew the tax-free growth and the tax-free payouts later on. So it really depends on the situation whether we direct people to go 401k Roth or regular 401k. But regardless, you should be pumping money into these employer-sponsored plans as much as possible. So I don't know. I've spoken a lot. Did you have some questions or some areas you wanted me to delve into deeper? Well, you know, you you have this amazing way of explaining things and making it make sense, David. That's what I love about hanging out with you. Well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> well, <laughs> and and really, you know, retirement, a lot of people are very fearful going into their retirement years. They don't know what they don't know. And they just get all caught up. And that's part of the reason I'm doing this series is because I'm hoping that I can help a lot of people become very calm. Okay. Yeah, I got this. I got that. And I'm covered and I know what my expenses are. And hey, I can do this. And you can. I mean, most people can. It's just a matter of adjusting and understanding inflows, outflows, investment returns, and how you're investing your money and what your options are to pull that money out. Uh, and understanding whether or not I can do Roth conversions or should I do Roth conversions. By the way, there are limits on how much you can put into a Roth. If you make too much money, you can't even fund a Roth unless it's a Roth 401k, by the way, which is an advantage. But a lot of people during their careers are making too much money to put money into a Roth. So therefore, they're putting it all into the four regular 401k because they need the tax deduction, which is the smart thing to do. But then there's going to be a period of time where they could roll that money later on when their tax brackets are lower, roll that money into an into a into a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. Now they have to pay tax on whatever amount they roll over, but now it's in a tax-free bucket. And right. it gives a lot of flexibility. The other nice thing about Roths, I didn't mention this. I mentioned the required minimum distribution on IRAs and 401ks, et cetera. A Roth has no required minimum distribution. So you could just let that money sit and grow. And I like to call it the, uh, the inheritance bucket or the longevity bucket. So, you know, you live, you live a long time, so you need the money or you don't. And it's, and it becomes the inheritance bucket. And the beauty of that is that when you inherit a Roth, the, the people that inherit it do not have to pay tax on it. Yeah. Which that's is, great. that's great. Now an IRA, you inherit an IRA, you have 10 years to take all that money out. You got to pay tax on it. Okay. So it's a big difference from an inheritance standpoint. If you, and what you're doing by doing Roth conversion is you're prepaying the taxes on that money. And if it becomes an inheritance, you've prepaid the taxes for the people that inherit that money, or it provides you with a source of tax-free income later on in retirement. If you need it, let's say for you know a long-term care stay or something like that, which we will talk about later. All right. That sounds good, David. So if people have more questions... How did they get in touch with you? They can call me directly at 804-622-1722, or they can reach me uh, via the website, rvawealthmanagement.com. Uh, they can go there and set up a private consultation because my calendar is there. So you just can click Calendly and set up some time to talk and it's complimentary and we can get your questions answered that way. All right. Sounds good. 
Well, thank you for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Unleash Your Retirement podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rvawealthmanagement.com or give us a call at 804-497-2100. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RVA Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal tax or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of RVA Wealth Management. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RVA Wealth Management or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, RVA Wealth Management and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.